0: Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We are so glad that you are listening in today. As God's people, we are concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, look us up on our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. Well, John Eldridge tells a story of a Scottish discus thrower from the 19th century. He lived days before professional trainers, and he developed his skills alone in the highlands. He made his own discus, you know, that flat disc they throw in the Olympics. He made his own discus from the description he read in a book. What he didn't know was that the competition discus was made of wood with an outer rim of iron. His discus was made of pure metal, four times heavier than the ones used by his would-be challengers. This committed Scotsman trained day after day, laboring under the burden of the extra weight, unknowingly. He marked the record distance, he measured it out, and he kept working at it until he could throw the disc that far. Of course, when he arrived at the competition, he was handed the official wooden discus. And he threw it like a tea saucer. He set new records, and for many years, none of his competitors could even touch him. As Eldridge reflected on this story, he said, "So that's how you do it. You train under a great burden." Now it's easy to read that story and smile to yourself. Of course, the discus thrower smashed through the world records. He trained with too heavy of a disc. That athlete, though, had to stick with training with an unfortunately heavy disc, and he didn't even know it. Imagine when he first marked off the distance of the world record, he measured it out, and then he gave that solid metal disc its first throw. I have to imagine he looked at that and thought, what on earth just happened? How would, I, how would he ever get that world record accomplished? I imagine he threw that disc many times and probably trained for many days, many weeks, feeling like there was no way he could ever get close. But he had to stick to it. Today, we have a startling Bible text. We could let some of its words shake us, but instead, I want you to be encouraged Yes, there is a startling warning about what happens to those who falter in their faith, who don't finish well, but there's also encouragement for those of us, there's encouragement for us to push through the challenges we encounter. There's an image in the passage, the hands of God, and the hands of God both caution and encourage us to live and finish the Christian life well. So let's go to the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, and we're going to read verses 31 through 39. It begins like this It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days after you were enlightened. You endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. The coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. That's God speaking about his people. My righteous one shall live by faith. And if they shrink back, my soul will have no pleasure in them. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. When I read that first line from verse 31, it just shook me. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That verse should grip all of us. A fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now we are meant to feel two emotions here. Most obvious is fear resulting from a warning that we can falter or fall in the course of our faith. And so then it is a fearful, terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When we are failing, The fear we feel is judgment. When we're failing, we face his authority and we're in the wrong. And so it's scary. We face a judgment. The second emotion beyond that fear is we're meant to feel encouragement, to stay the course, to not give up. When we feel the change, the challenge of this life and this world, we have a choice to falter, or to endure. We should want to train well and finish strong, to endure. But I want to take a few minutes and dig into that verse, fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. What do we mean by the hands of God? What a phrase, and it's a phrase we use all the time in our culture. The hands of God is very familiar. But what do we mean when we say those words? And what does the Bible mean when it uses the hands of God? Because all through our culture, the phrase hands of God or hand of God is commonly used. You might hear someone remark about good fortune or even success when it looked like something bad was about to happen. You might hear someone say, we thought surely that that truck was going to hit us, but by the hand of God, we were spared. When we're uncertain of what to do, we'll say this, well, I've, I've done all I can do now and I must put it in the hands of God. So we use the phrase all the time in our culture, somehow describing something that's beyond our control. Maybe you think of when you hear about these hands of God and us falling into the hands of God, you think of that famous sermon by Jonathan Edwards. He preached back in 1741 entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Michelangelo painted God Imparting life to Adam on the Sistine Chapel ceiling. And Michelangelo took some license with the biblical account. Instead of the breath of God, he painted God reaching out with his strong, vibrant hand, a single finger to touch Adam's limp, lifeless, unknowing hand. The hand of God is all through our culture. It's a phrase we see all the time. And when we speak about the hand of God, we describe his authority. We describe a sense of safety, protected in God's hands. We describe power. We describe guidance. Competency is a phrase. We might not normally throw that word around, but when we talk about the hand of God, we certainly think of competency, or if we have doubts, we want assurance of God's capability. The Bible makes great use of the image, hand of God. There are many Many, many verses in the Bible that talk about the hand of God, and we can learn much from them. So, I'm going to read several. Perhaps you are aware of how often the hand of God appears in the Bible, but through just reading several right now, maybe you'll hear them in different ways than you did before and wonder, I wonder what that means, or maybe you'll begin to get a picture of what that means. We could start with one that's very common Luke 23 46, when Jesus is on the cross getting ready to breathe his last. It says this, then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The hands of God are used when God speaks about unfaithful Israel. It's there in Isaiah 65 verses 1 and 2. God is speaking. He's giving his perspective and he says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that has not called by my, that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good following their own devices. So, God talks about stretching his hands out to his people. The Bible also uses the hand of God to describe God overcoming our enemies. Exodus fifteen six says, Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In his hand, he holds time. Psalm 31.15 says, My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and my persecutors. There's another bit about our enemies. We're told that by God's hand, He creates. Isaiah 48.13 says, My hand laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand forth together. And I think we could read into that the sustaining power of God's hand. God keeps his people with his hands. John ten twenty eight says this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. God forms us by his hands. Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. God gives us pleasure, enjoyment, even simple things to enjoy from His hands. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 24 says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. God's hand is mighty. First Peter five six says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Joshua four twenty four says, so that all peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. We're told that God holds our deeds in his hands. Ecclesiastes nine one says. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is to love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. God's hands are an image, all through the Bible, of his power, his authority, his creativity, and his will. And many other aspects. And we are told that we are all held in God's hands. And we're told in Ecclesiastes that we are to help in God's hand, that we are held in God's hand and weighed. That evaluation should strike us with fear and awe to be held in the hand of God and measured. And so we come back to Hebrews 10, 31, where it says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So we need to ask, what are the dimensions of the fear that we are to feel in the hands of God? Blaise Pascal says this and says it this way. There is a virtuous fear, which is the effect of faith, and there is a vicious fear, which is the product of doubt. The former leads to hope, as relying on God in whom we believe. The latter inclines to despair, as not relying on God in whom we do not believe. Persons of the one character fear to lose God. Persons of the other character fear to find Him. Mm, You could dwell on that comment for a long time. There is fear of faith that relies on God and fear of doubt that comes from not relying on God. Which one do you hold? Which one do you have in your life? We will all have fear while we are in the hands of God. The question is, is it good fear or bad fear? Our world places us under constant pressure to cave in on living out the Christian faith, to cave in on holiness, to cave in on living a life devoted to God, to cave in on holding on to a fear of faith and to embrace a fear of doubt, a bad fear. When we experience that pressure, when we experience it enough, we are tempted to falter. That's what I want you to think about today, because that's what Hebrews is warning us about, faltering in our faith. Have you begun your walk with God well, but then faltered? You know, to be honest, I find that I'm very good at starting projects. I'm not so good at finishing them. Maybe you're like that. You start, you do well to start, you get a whole lot of things going, but finishing doesn't always happen the way you planned. You know, several years ago, I uh, brought into the church as a sermon illustration, an eight foot long oak plank, a board, a piece of wood. And as I stood there with that giant board or that oversized board, and it was heavy being made of oak, I I showed the congregation that board. I don't think I held it up because it was just too uh, ov- unwieldy. But as I stood there with that oak board, I said, this is no board. It's an end table. Because I was embarking on the journey of becoming a woodworker. Here's an end table that I'm going to make for my wife. Some of you in our church still ask me about that project. It was years ago. And Betsy, my wife, still reminds me of it from time to time. I think she did just about two or three weeks ago. That yes. Well, that no. The end table is not finished yet. I started well even have one mostly done, but they're just not finished yet. If I ever find myself in the hands of woodworking judges, I should tremble. I never finished. I have all but given up. The end table project exists as merely a someday I'll get around to it. It is dangerous when our faith becomes someday I'll get around to it. We all sit in God's hands. It's up to us to pursue a terrifying fear or an awe-inspiring fear built on faith. (sighs) Just preceding our text is a sharp warning. Just before what we read, you know, finding ourselves in the hands of the living God, just before that is a sharp warning of why we might hold a terrifying fear. And I want you to listen carefully to the text, especially to the warning Um, uh, uh, about how there being no more sacrifice for sins. Uh, Hebrews 10, 26, and you could read the whole thing, 26 all the way through 30. It'll give you the whole picture. And even there, it talks about trampling Jesus underfoot. But if we just read Hebrews 10, 26, there's the sharp warning. This is written to believers and it says, if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And it goes on to talk about how if we keep on sinning, we are trampling Jesus underfoot. That's a pretty stark warning. It's precarious. And we don't want to find that ourselves that we are faltering in our faith. We want to run our walk or we want to, to walk well with Jesus. But when we falter... When we cave into the pressures of the world around us, we run the risk of experiencing terrifying fear in the hands of God. What a warning. But our text today does not end with a warning. I started us deliberately with the beginning of a warning. And it continues with encouragement. Because after verse 31, it's terrifying to find yourself in the hands of the living God. It moves on to verse, well, 32. And it continues with encouragement with the word remember or recall. Remember the hard things you have overcome. And the author to the letter of the Hebrews and God reminds the very first recipients of how they have suffered so well for their faith. Not that they're called to simply suffer, but they are called to endure, to live well, and that living well did lead to hard, lead to hard choices. And so it's listed out that they suffered for their faith. They endured public ridicule for their faith. They felt the pain when other Christians were imprisoned for their faith. They even lost their own property for Jesus. Yes. But they counted those struggles minimal compared to what God had in store for them for eternity. And that's important. Here's some words by Franklin Roosevelt He says, Courage is not the absence of fear but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. Now, I think we will all have fear in the hands of God, whether it's good or not is the question. And I think when we assess that what God has in store for us is better than what this world is offering, that's when the fear begins to turn from something terrifying to something wonderful. Can we say that we see heaven? as a higher priority than any temptation we face here on earth. We've read the warning, we've heard about the encouragement, both of those are meant to push us as Christians. One commentator writes this, warnings are meant to unsettle us, encouragement is meant to embolden us, both energize us to persevere in our faith, and we need endurance as Christians. The training course of life is much more challenging than we imagined it to be. Like we started with that story of the discus thrower and he trained with the wrong type of discus. He could have got frustrated and quit because it was much harder than he ever expected. It's easy for us to drop out of the race early too when it comes to walking our faith. We're told we're not to do that. Hebrews ten thirty six that we read today says, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We are called to endure in our faith. Yes, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God, but will you know if it's a good fear or a bad fear? Where do you stand today? Is it good fear or bad fear? You can be sure today if you place your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Have you been struggling with your walk in Jesus? If you have, I encourage you, hear the warning. Hear the recalling, the remembrance of how you've walked with Jesus in the past. Now is the time to walk strong with Jesus again. Let verse 39 be true of you. And it reads like this, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have, have, who have faith and preserve their souls. That's what we're called to be, people of faith. <sighs> Will you walk with the Lord? Let's pray. God, help us to see ever so clearly how each one of us reacts in your hands with fear that's terrorizing or fear that's confident. Your hands created us, sustain us. You wield authority over us. You guide us. You keep us safe by your hands, and you draw us near to you by your hand. Help us to live faithfully with endurance so that we can rest in your hand, assured of who we are in Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go with Jesus.